just to remind you that we um, began this series principally to engage with uh, the discussion around uh, mental health and to engage with it um, practically and positively and to take on board those things which a church community can do. And Roger Brotherton came and really helped us to navigate through uh, what is in the realm of the, the medics uh, and those that are professionally trained, the doctors that can help in that area. But a, a lot of the subject of mental health uh, lies in the area of these examples that we've looked at through the series. And because we've been doing the series, I've been able to chat to a few people uh, who are involved professionally in helping people with mental health. And it, it's been really interesting to see how um, all of them have basically said uh, what their aim in working with someone is to build up skills like these in the person as the way of helping them and encouraging them uh, to move forward. So these traits are for all of us. As Josh said uh, when he did his, his talk, all of us have a mental health. All of us have these traits in our lives and all of us can engage with them, a bit like going to the gym. If you uh, work on any particular area of physical fitness, you can improve it. And if you work on an aspect of, of your mental health, you can improve that as well. And it also gives us skills maybe to support and encourage others uh, who have need in that area. And um, I kind of want to put it to you that wouldn't it be great if our church was known for qualities like this? Wouldn't it be great to have a reputation that G2 was an emotionally healthy place uh, and it was the place where you could go to to get stuff like this uh, into your life? So today we're looking at the subject of uh, gratitude and um, I think instinctively we're all drawn to be with people who are grateful, who, who are strong in this trait of gratitude and thanksgiving. Um, it, it maybe helps you think of the, of the other way around. What's the opposite? Um, are you drawn to be with people who are grumblers, who are cynics, who are um, downcast, uh, who are like just miserable? Um, somebody like that is often someone that's hard to be with. Uh, and we are often drawn in life to be around positiveness, around gratitude and thanksgiving in other people. Um, I've got a friend uh, who I work with in London and he's an incredibly grateful guy and he once broke his leg and he said to me, it's the best broken leg I've ever had. Now he's like, wherever I am on the scale of gratitude, he's way higher up on that scale. But he's... That kind of uh, describes who he is in his life. He's the kind of guy that you'd want to hang around with because even when he's got a broken leg, he can make it sound good, like you almost want to have a broken leg as well, just to get in some of the joy and the action that he's feeling. Um, I have uh, another friend who uh, used to work in the area of disaster management. And uh, years ago, when there was uh, a winter with incredible snowdrifts, uh, he told me, he said that he loves, he loves that kind of thing of kitting yourself up in the morning and walking several miles into work so that when you get into work on time, you feel like you've already conquered the elements and you're ready to do anything. I've got another friend. 
full of gratitude. I must have lots of friends with gratitude. Uh, and his car broke once, and he said to me, oh, I'm so glad. I've always wanted to dismantle my car engine. I never feel like that when my car breaks. I'm never filled instinctively with gratitude for the opportunity that mechanics brings. But I just want to suggest to you that gratitude is, is a great quality to have. And it's one that's it's universal across humanity, that we are drawn and attracted to it. And gratitude brings positive life to social settings and communities, to families, to relationships, and to churches as well. The Apostle Paul, in his letter, he uses phrases of gratitude more than 50 times in the letters that he writes. How he is grateful for something, or thankful something, or how he encourages others to express their gratitude for. And think about Jesus when he fed the 5,000. Just before the miracle happened, when he's just got a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, what does he do? He gives thanks, and then the miracle follows that. And when Jesus was having the Last Supper, the, the first uh, communion like we're going to have today, um, as he took the bread and as he took the wine, he gave thanks to God. And so in the New Testament, in the Bible, in the life of Jesus, we see uh, gratitude overflowing. And uh, if you wanted another verse to look to, we've got a little verse, oh there we go. Uh, Paul, when he writes to the church in Philippi, he says this, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. He was a man through all sorts of endurances and battling with hope and having to live a life of kindness and living out these traits, could get to a point in his life when he says, I've, I've learned that skill of being contented with life, whatever it brings. So we're going to chat at our tables, and uh, I want you to kind of ask two questions that are related um, together. And the first is this, how grateful or thankful are you now? So are you as a person, how grateful or thankful are you? And then the follow-on question is, how grateful and thankful would you like to be? Uh, you can engage with this any way you like. You can use numbers like 1 to 10. You could use adjectives to describe yourself. You can draw a picture. You can tell a short story, whatever it might be. So um, amongst the creativity that is G2, there will be myriad ways of expressing that. But try and get a sense of how, where are you now on gratitude and thanksgiving, and then where would you like to be? So a chance to say hi to people on your table. Just two minutes to do that. Um, so off you go straight away. Show of hands to get a feel of where you were on those two.
question. So you've thought about where are you now, and then you've thought about where would you like to be. So let's, let's do the middle one first. Um, who felt that where they are now and where they'd like to be are about the same? So basically, you're, you're happy with where you are and you're not looking to move up or down. So let's have a show of hands. Who was, who was in that category? Wow, what? It's like a well-adjusted family sitting at the back. <laughs> Come and teach us. <laughs> well done, Fins. Um, okay, who felt uh, where they are now and then they would like to be less? <laughs> You'd have to be quite brave to say that, okay. So who felt where they are now uh, and then in the future they would like to be more in gratitude and thanksgiving? Okay, so nearly all of us, apart from the perfect family at the back. Uh, psychologists say that gratitude is one of the most reliable ways of instilling a sense of well-being into a person. And I, I understand that it's one of the most common interventions used to help someone with depression. I'm not saying that that alone would be the solution, but amongst those skills that a trained person might use to help someone in that situation, gratitude is a powerful, life-giving uh, trait that can bring well-being to a person. When we are grateful and thankful, we take things as granted, not for granted. Let me say that again. When we are grateful and thankful, we take things as granted, not for granted. So gratitude, unlike kindness, which we talked about at the beginning of the series, which is about, in a sense, what you give or do for others, gratitude, in a sense, is a measure of you. It's a measure of who you are. Your gratitude may affect others, but in a way that's secondary to, the, to what gratitude is, which is it's an honest outflowing of your own heart. Um, it, it, it's, it's a descriptor, an observation of where we are in terms of our own life and our lot in life. Uh, gratitude says this, um, focus on what you have and focus on who you are. So gratitude is not about hope, where we talked about how we might look forward to where life might be different. Gratitude is, is the exact opposite of that. It refuses to be satisfied by looking forward to when things might be different. Gratitude is an honest assessment of the now in our lives. Uh, gratitude is when you look at your life and you enjoy it. You assess your life and where you are and you take enjoyment for it. And these two words link together, gratitude and thanksgiving. We are grateful for something, for things, and we are thankful to people, others that, other people to God. We're grateful for things, we're thankful to people. So gratitude and thanksgiving go together. Uh, now, during my research this week, I, I read that six years ago, 
um, psychologists discovered that there is probably a gratitude gene in our DNA. Apparently it's called CD38. I'm not an expert on this, I'm just telling you what I read. CD38 is the name of a gene, and if you possess that, you are likely to be uh, measurably more grateful, stronger in thanksgiving. Which suggests that some of the most incredibly positive people may in fact be genetic mutations. <laughs> Actually, I know some people, I know some people who are unbelievably positive. So I'd love to be able to get like a little, you know, inexpensive DNA kit and I could just test them and see, is, is, this, is this like because of your DNA? Um, now the reality is, of course, whatever our biology may have formed us into, the expressions of our personalities and who we are can all be invested in. So wherever we are on this gratitude measure, wherever you've you perceived yourself to be, it is something you can invest in and develop and grow in your life. So the good news for nearly all of us who wanted to, to go from where we are, we are now to be someone who's more grateful and more full of thanksgiving is we, we can invest in that to see that happen. Uh, a famous recent uh, psychological experiment was conducted in the US by Roger Emmons and he took 200 students, divided them into different groups, the, the group of the experiment and the control groups and they were given, the, the uh, group they were testing were given 21 days and they were given a simple instruction that at the end of each day they were just to write down three things for which they were grateful. So a really, a really short amount of time, but for 21 days at the end of the day they just wrote down three, day, three things for which they are grateful. Uh, then they tested them, I don't know what they did, like blood tests or stuff like that, but they found that that, that group compared to the other groups were happier, healthier, they were exercising more, their measurable physical fitness had increased, um, they had a better uh, immune system, and they were happier, more contented people. Uh, a more recent experiment um, kind of repeated the same idea, and all, all that experiment got people to do is at the beginning of the day to force a smile for 20 seconds. So just to force themselves to smile, so not like, you know, to listen to a joke and, there, and thereby to smile, but put a smile on your face for 20 seconds at the beginning of the day, and it demonstrated a similar benefit, that, it, 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 that that engagement with, in a sense, almost a fake way of being grateful, had an effect, a knock-on effect in their lives. And like I said before, what if, what if the church was known for it. Like if you had a fire in your house and you would think, I wonder who can help with fires, you'd instinctively, you'd go to the fire brigade, wouldn't you? You'd be like, okay, the fire brigade might know something about this. We've got a fire, we'll go to them for some help. Or if you had an educational need, you might go to a school or a university because instinctively you'd know um, if we're in need of education, that's the place that we might go. What if, what if the church was not known for controversy, but was known? Do you know what? If you need to be encouraged, or, or you need uh, an investment in your emotional well-being, then the first place, top of the list of where you would go to benefit in that, 
is you would go to the church. Now, in a way, I think I'm preaching to the choir. You're all converted already. You all uh, value gratitude and thanksgiving. You recognise it's a good thing. You recognise the benefits for you, the benefits socially in terms of that's the kind of person I'd like to be, and it's something we would all like to improve on. So I'd like to suggest to you three things that I thought of that I, in a way, war against the expression of gratitude. And when I was chatting at the table, the thing I kind of said was, um, it, it, this is kind of someone that I, uh, that when I express gratitude, I feel like I'm being myself. But the thing is, there are often things in life that, that war against me expressing or engaging with this idea. So maybe you can think of uh, things that war against this as well, and I want to suggest you um, three that I thought of. The first is post-materialism. Okay, you know what materialism don't, is, don't you? Materialism is when, when you need something in order to be happy. You haven't got a car, but if you get a car, you'll be happy because you'll have a better life. Uh, you haven't got a smartphone, but if you can have a smartphone, then you'll be happier. Uh, you haven't got a girlfriend, but if you can get a girlfriend, you'll be really happy. That's materialism. Materialism says you need something, and that something will benefit your life in the area of happiness and fulfilment. Post-materialism is when you've already got one, but you need a better one in order to be happy. Post-materialism is our society. Almost every advert that you see is not telling you about something that you haven't got that you need. It's telling you that you need a different or a better one of those in order to be a fulfilled person in whatever way the advert is selling it to you. You don't need a mobile phone. You need a better mobile phone. You need the latest, best mobile phone. And then if you've got one of those, you'll be one of the cool kids. You'll be really happy. Um, or uh, you need a better job. The reason you're not happy in life is because the job you're in isn't rewarding you enough. But if you get that promotion that you applied for, then you will be happy because you've got a better job. You already had a job, but you're getting a better job. Or you need a better girlfriend. You've already got a girlfriend. But if you could get a better girlfriend, like the ones in the adverts, uh, then a girlfriend like that, then you'd be much more happy. You'd be fulfilled. And actually, she's the reason that you're not happy. She's not as good as she might be, and that's the reason you are not fulfilled in life, and you are not full of well-being. So this is the society that we live in. Uh, everyone advertising a product, almost everything that you see on television, is trying to convey you that type of logic and that type of thinking. And it puts us on uh, what's like a sort of happiness treadmill. And a happiness treadmill is when you're always chasing the thing that you haven't yet got, that when you have that in your life, then you'll be the happy person that you want to be. And uh, the, the happiness treadmill always puts gratitude just around the corner. 
Of course you're going to be grateful as long as you can get the new iPhone 6. But at the moment you're going to withhold gratitude because you've got an unfashionable smartphone or a dumb phone or no phone. You know, uh, uh, when I upgrade my girlfriend, then I'll be grateful in life. But my gratitude is deferred. This is really bad to say on Valentine's Day, probably isn't it? But... <laughs> Radical preaching at G2, guaranteed. This is, this is the mindset often that's uh, when we talk about things like a lottery. Uh, lottery is, is, is an example of a happiness treadmill. Um, if I won the lottery, then I would be an amazingly happy person. Do you know what? They've tested people that have won the lottery and they've found that it takes only two weeks for their perceived level of happiness to go down to what it was before they won the lottery. Of course they've got shed loads of money, but it's up two weeks and they've gone down to how they felt about life and themselves before they won the lottery. So post-materialism, this idea that society bombards us with, I think is something that holds us back from gratitude. I think it's something that makes us have deferred gratitude. Of course we're grateful people, and I will be grateful when I just get around the corner to the thing that's coming, but it's not for now. What's the antidote to that? What might an antidote to that be? Well, I think an incredibly powerful one that's massively rooted in the Christian tradition is the idea of fasting. And fasting at its heart is a proclamation to God to say, I can do without that and still be the person that I am. I can still be fulfilled and happy and content before God without that. And in fact, in order to train myself not to have deferred gratitude, not to be thinking, oh, well, it's me and around the corner, it might come next year when I've got that next thing. Fasting is a radical way of transforming ourselves that actually makes us, helps us to be more grateful for what we already have, for what we may be taking for granted. I'll give you a small example. and I'm not drinking coffee during Lent. This morning, um, I opened out the cupboard to get a mug so I could have a cup of hot water, and I smelt the coffee, because you know, like my body's sensitivities like, increased. And I just, I mean, partly I wanted to have a cup of coffee, but second to that, I was filled with gratitude for coffee. I thought, do you know what? Coffee's wonderful. I'm so glad coffee's in my life. I can live without coffee, but coffee, I'm thankful for you and the joy that you bring to my life. That's a lot of things to think when you're just opening a cupboard to make a cup of hot water. So fasting is an antidote. The second thing that might be an enemy of gratitude is busyness. It's a very practical thing. And we are a generation that is particularly busy. And busy isn't just what you have to do, but it's, it's kind of an attitude of mind, isn't it? It's our approach to life. Um, I know when I'm in work mode, I switch into a very busy mode. I'm thinking about how can I make this meeting shorter in order to get that thing extra done? How could I, you know, um, pass something to someone else to do so I can do a bit more of the things 
that I need to do. And, and I recognise in myself, I can switch in to an attitude of busyness, of rushing, of um, sitting in a meeting, already thinking about the next meeting and what I'm going to do to solve the problem that's going to come up. It's, it's an attitude, an approach to life. And I think an attitude of busyness can rob us of the skill of expressing gratitude and thanksgiving. And I think people in times past often understood the rhythm of life better than we do. One of the consequences of, of a smartphone and an internet and all those things is actually we often don't disengage from what we're doing. We're kind of always on, so we lose a rhythm in our life that um, our parents and the generations before them uh, more instinctively had through the traits of their life. Um, you know, they understood maybe the value that walking the dog or going for a run or doing some exercise or taking a day when the rules were in place that prevented you from walking or doing or going, where you just put a pause on the six days and how you'd live then, and you had a seventh Sabbath day where you were actually switched into a different mode that actually had gratitude and thanksgiving built into it. Uh, some of the Christians in times past who often prayed in very tiny chunks through the day and the final, um, the final prayer, time of prayer that you'd engage with would be the one before you go to bed where you would remember with gratitude the things that had happened in the day. I think we've lost some of that in our life. And as we train ourselves in gratitude, it's something that we can re-engage in. So what's the antidote to busyness? The antidote to busyness is to have moments of pause where we switch into a different gear. Maybe where we recognise there is a need to take a break that you can switch off from doing your emails or whatever it is, that sometimes less is more, that it's good for your well-being to be able to switch into a different mode or a different uh, um, expression. Maybe to think about the idea of the Sabbath, a, a day set apart that's holy, where you engage in a different way and you, you, you have a day where you can think about gratitude and thanksgiving for the other six days that you've already lived. And my third enemy of um, gratitude is cynicism. And cynicism, again, I think is the mode of our society. It's, it's often the default mode of how we as people engage with things. I think it's the tempo, often, of the news and newspapers, especially in politics, and possibly it's, it's the result of an, of a, of a, an individualisation of who we are. That on subjects, our first response is almost to fight in opposition. I mean, that, that's exactly how politics is often presented. That um, uh, on a subject, uh, different people will, will almost fight in the debate over the discussion of the subject. You know, what if they just said, do you know what, I'm so grateful for my colleague of, in another party and uh, we're going to work together to figure out a great way to move forward. 
Wouldn't that be amazing? That would be the opposite of cynicism. Uh, somebody wrote that gratitude is social glue. Gratitude is social glue. I think the opposite is definitely true, that when we're fighting for ourselves, for um, when we're grumbling or complaining, when we're uh, moaning, when we're fighting with others and their ideas, that is not social glue. It breaks community apart. But I think a grateful community is a community that's glued together. And gratitude is contagious. Gratitude invests in the future. Your gratitude expressed to another person ignites the same trait within them that's passed on to others. And so when we feel emotionally in debt, um, debt, debt in a sense is paid into the past. Gratitude invests forward into the future. So what's the antidote to cynicism? Well, the antidote to cynicism, I think, is to be radically different, to engage in discussions in different ways. And I want to put it to you as, a, as an experiment. Um, I often do this in my job in Alpha, and I'm often in a lot of meetings, and we often have lots of conversations that take place by email. And even within a Christian organisation, there can be a tendency uh, to engage cynically with the discussion or the idea. And uh, uh, Ewan will know who uh, works with me. Often I, I treat meetings as a social experiment. I'll delete this from the talk, so do I know. Uh, I treat meetings with colleagues as a social experiment. And I tr I've tried injecting gratitude and thanksgiving into the beginning of the discussion, whether it's an email conversation or a meeting. And I can't prove it because you can't have the same meeting twice. But I reckon gratitude and thanksgiving is a powerful force within any community or discussion. Now maybe you can translate that to your setting, your family, your workplace, your neighbourhood, some activity or interest that you're involved in. Maybe you can perceive where that community has a, a cynicism or a negative emotional trait. Try the experiment of injecting gratitude and thanksgiving into that discussion and see what happens.